Hello, this is Yaro Stark, and welcome to an interview. Today on the line, I have Neil Patel, and I'm really looking forward to doing this one in particular because, wow, Neil has quite a, well, almost like a, um, a history of success, Neil. I don't know if you have any failures in your, uh, in your background. I'm sure you do. Everyone seems to. But thank you for joining me on the call today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to uh, go back in time and, and see where you came from. So uh, where are you originally from? Sure. So I'm actually, I was born in London, England. And when I was like around one or two years old, my parents moved to Orange County, California. Not the, you know, version you see on TV, but there's a much more normal, you know, poorer part, uh, <laughs> which is called North Orange County, more away from the water. And that's where I grew up. Okay. So you don't have a British accent. I don't have a British accent, sadly, right? Wish I had one, but... Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. So you, you do you have an OC accent? Is that Would that be right? <laughs> yeah, California accent or just, uh, you know, I would say a West Coast accent. Okay. Um, so growing up in, in California, did you have an entrepreneurial experience early on or were you following a normal career path, going to college and so forth? I, had a, I did end up going to college and doing all those basic things that most people do. But I did start off with an entrepreneurial background. Okay. And I started because my mom has been an entrepreneur for ages uh, with her own little daycare business. And from her and you know other people in my family, I learned quite a bit over the years. From there, I pretty much decided to start my own business in high school and started off selling you know CDs and DVDs and cable TV boxes so that way people can watch more channels than they technically were paying for. From there, you know, expand into many other things. But um, yeah, all my first real business or all my first businesses were very tiny. My first real business was an internet site and that actually failed miserably. Okay, well, let's let's put a timestamp on this. Can you, so you went to school in, in Orange County you then what degree did you start and where did you go sure so i my degree was in marketing i went to california state university of fullerton okay when was this like what year uh a while ago (laughs) (laughs) am i dating you (laughs) 10 years ago i would say nine years ago okay so you're looking at roughly like 2003 is when i pretty much started college okay all right so you would have graduated sort of mid-2000. That's correct. Okay, and, and your mom's your primary inspiration. Now, as I was saying to you just before we started to record the call, I actually uh, know you, well, I've seen your name everywhere, but one of the things that keeps coming out in my head is the fact that you have uh, an article on shoemoney.com many years ago about a platinum, uh, was it Visa card or MasterCard? I don't even know what it was, or American Express? Uh, yeah, so it was a Centurion American Express credit card. It's all the same thing. Though. There's no difference. Credit card is a credit card. It's just one that's a bit more exclusive. They claim you get all these perks, but at the end of the day, they're all useless. <laughs> right. What I thought was impressive, though, is you have to, like the balance of something, you get a $100,000 limit. Is that what? I can't even remember. It's a while ago now when I read this. Yeah, there's really no limit. Um, they're not really like credit cards. They're more like debit cards. So whatever you spend in the month, you have to pay off. Right. Okay. So there's, the limit is based on your spending history and all that. You you know, supposed rumor is you have to spend two hundred and forty thousand or two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to qualify. I ended up finding out from a source inside American Express recently, actually, 
you only had to spend $150,000 to qualify. So it's it's not a bad card overall, but it's not really financially worth it. Right. Because the first year fees for like one person is well over 5,000 bucks, right? It's like 6, 7,000 dollars for the first year for a credit card. It's not really worth paying that. Right. So it's more like if you want the status to say that I've got this very exclusive credit card. That, that's correct. Like I don't have it anymore, right? right? And my current American Express spend is like around $130,000 a month. Right. So it's like, why get a credit card you have to pay money for in, when there's other credit cards that actually give you cash back? And right. when you're spending yeah, a exactly. cap, you have to get my 2% cash back every month. Right. Now, I remember when Neil, uh, sorry, when uh, Shumani, Jeremy, wrote that article, I really haven't set the scene here. For those who don't know you, uh, I kind of assume that everyone's heard your name before, but maybe I should set the scene a little bit. Uh, I think the other place that I first came across you would have been uh, possibly Crazy Egg um, and maybe your blog, Quick Sprout, as well. And you seem to have a name as a traffic generator. Like that's possibly the strongest personal brand uh, or certainly everything what you do seems to be around the traffic and conversion sort of space. Is that correct? That is. If you look at all my businesses... All the ones that at least are somewhat successful, right. they've all revolved around the traffic space, right? My first one was an internet marketing agency. That one did well, or my first successful one okay. that was traffic-related. My second one was Crazy Egg. My third one is, which is the current one, Kissmetrics. Okay. Well, let's just jump back on the timeline, and there's a few businesses to get to. So we're graduating in mid-2000, and you said around that time you had your first internet failure. Is that correct? Uh, so I had my first internet failure in high school around oh. 16 years old. Okay. Tell us about it. My first one was called advice monkey. So you're based out of Australia, correct? That's right. Now, I don't know if you guys have monster.com there or monster.com. We did. It didn't really take off, but we, we did have it. They attempted to come into our market. There you go. So it's huge in the U S and when I was like around 16 years old or 15, I forgot the exact age. I wanted to get a really high paying job. So I went on Monster, tried to find one. I couldn't because they all required college degrees and I was too young. But the one thing I did notice was on the bottom of the site, there was a stock symbol. I clicked it and I noticed they're worth billions of dollars, right? So I was like, crap, if I end up creating a website that's just like this, if it does all the same stuff, if I can make 1% of what they make, I'll be a rich kid. So I went out there, found someone to create it, and it failed miserably. And the, there's a few main reasons it failed. The first one was when you pop up a website, you got to figure out how to get traffic to it. I assume that when you pop up a website, everyone already comes to your website, right? Like it just automatically gets popular, mm -hmm. which never really happens. Two, to make money online, you have to be able to accept credit cards. I had no way of accepting credit cards on my website. And at this time, there wasn't too many popular payment processors. You know, PayPal is widely known now. Um, authorized.net and there were payment processors online it was just as a 15 16 year old or however old i was at that time i didn't know how to do those things and what was your plan like you just wanted to copy monster.com i did and the biggest mistake i made there was i didn't try to solve a unique problem right i just tried to create another me too company which wasn't solving a pain in the marketplace which right. is probably the main reason why the company failed okay so how long was that experiment? And I'm assuming you did it all yourself. So I paid someone, I don't know, my guess is I spent less than 20,000 bucks on the whole business. I paid someone, you know, five, 10 grand to build it. I would say like around five. 
and that money was made by selling like CDs and stuff in high school and car parts. Okay, self-funded. Was spent by uh, marketing, so I didn't have much more money than that. So I also worked a nine-to-five job at a theme park here, picking up trash and cleaning restrooms. I used that money to pay marketing firms to build more traffic to the site. And none of them really did a good job. After a while, I actually got fed up paying these people because I was getting no results. And I had to learn internet marketing myself because I didn't have any more money. Okay, so this business was the trigger to almost start your entire career in the traffic and generation path. Bingo. Okay. And I was successful at getting that site traffic. We ranked for like job search, tech jobs, all these specific keywords on Google. You know, don't get me wrong, I still didn't make money from the business, but I got the traffic part down. And since then, you know, pretty been pretty decent at generating traffic. Um, I've always sucked at monetization, but I've been pretty good at generating traffic. Okay, so this is a great point in your life for you to explain, especially in your early days, how you got good at generating traffic. Like, What did you learn in particular for this job uh, monster clone website that you could take forward? Was it all SEO related? It was 100% SEO related, right? Because there was really no Twitter at the time. Facebook wasn't around. What I ended up learning was if you want to get good rankings on the search engines, because search engines were still popular back then, right? You have to get a lot of sites linking to you. And I got really good at figuring out how to get other websites to link to me. So I'd head up webmasters, you know, manually emailing them, or I'd start cold calling websites with high page rank and convince them and do deals. I'm like, I'll link to you if you link back, right? And I'm not saying those tactics work now, but back then they worked really great. Okay, so how did this all, uh, I guess, leave you in the sense that you stopped doing the, the monster clone and move on to something else? Well, I, I got fed up with that business after a while, right? Because you're getting all this traffic and you're just like, crap, I'm not making any money. And even if I figured out a way to accept credit cards online, I probably still wouldn't have made money because I didn't really have too many job listings and I didn't have people paying me to post a job, right? You mm-hmm. need other job searchers and the job searchers aren't going to keep on coming back to your site if you don't have the job listings. And if you don't have enough job listings and job searchers, you're not going to get people who are willing to pay to post the mm. listing. Monster should have hired you to drive traffic to their site. There you go. I would have done pretty well for them. But yeah, I got fed <laughs> up over a while. And I decided, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go to college like every other normal kid and get a degree. So what I started doing was, while I was in high school, I started taking nighttime college classes at a community college so I can finish college in two to three years instead of four years like most kids. Mm-hmm. And my first class was on speech. And I gave a speech about how search engines work as one of my first speeches. One of the guys in the room was a sales rep at a what I would say a power supply manufacturing business. And that guy, he said, Hey, we're looking for someone to build up our traffic. I work for this company called LPAC Electronics and we provide like power supplies to heart resuscitators and Boeing airplanes and random things like that, right? So it's like an unheard of company, but they print cash and they're huge because they provide power supplies to most electrical things that we see in this world. Mm. So the guy introduced me to someone in marketing over there and they hired me. And my first gig there was like 3000 or 3500 a month. I forgot what the exact amount was, but I thought it was, you know, a home run. I was like, wow, I'm getting paid all this much just for like 10 hours a month, right? So I was like ecstatic, especially for a young kid who was like 16, 17 at this time. 
But okay. little did I know, I was making them a lot more money than they were paying me. Right. So you are, this is before you went, oh, just when you started college, right? So this is early days of 2000s. You're 16, 17, and you get your first consulting client pretty much because you do a presentation for a class. That's correct. Okay. So, and then you figure out that they're making a lot more money than they're paying you. Is that that yeah i was the internet just the internet leads mm-hmm. and i was only one doing internet work whereas bringing in 51 percent of their leads that resulted in revenue and they're doing over 50 million bucks in revenue a year <laughs> wow so you were basically responsible for like 25 million <laughs> something like that I don't know exactly, <laughs> not not but, completely but, responsible but at least partially responsible <laughs> that's correct right because someone's also produced the uh, product, sell it to them, right? Because yeah. just because the lead comes in doesn't mean they're going to pay you unless the sales guy goes and closes them. Closes the lead. Okay. So um, did this open up a new idea that you're thinking maybe I should be charging more or <laughs> something Not else? Even. Because what ended up happening is the guy who owned that company, his son owned an ad agency in Los Angeles. So he introduced me to his son and his son within a few months gave me more business and I was like doing 20 grand a month in business while I was in high school because from the owner, the owner's kid, and so forth and so on, right, all started adding up, and his friends, they all started paying me. Okay, Neil, now I'm, I'm curious here. There's a lot of people go out there trying to start a consultant firm, you know, even in the time frame you did it, and they're much older than you were at the time. Why were you good at getting traffic for all these different types of businesses? <laughs> like, what's the secret sauce there? My secret sauce was I was just busting my butt much more than most other guys out there. They were charging premium amounts, and they were giving you fancy presentations and giving you all these fancy reports instead of focusing that time and energy on the results. This was my first gig. I didn't know how to make these fancy presentations, do sales pitches, or any of that. All I knew how to do was do technical work, and I focused 100% of my time on providing results. So I was more scrappier on getting links. I was more, uh, I was better at doing on-page changes and stuff like that. I was much more up to date with the technology and and learning what changes are happening algorithm algorithmically to the search engines versus spending my time getting business. Now, granted, customers don't pay you forever. Sooner or later, you get churn, and if you don't focus on sales and growing your business, you're not going to keep on growing the revenue. But I didn't know any of that. All I was focusing on is just doing the work, which is why the clients I had at that time were really happy. Mm. So would it be safe to say much of your work was keyword research, on-page optimization, and generating links to these sites? That's correct. And I would say link building was 80 plus percent of it. Right. And I was just more scrappier and better at getting links than most people out there. Okay. I'd love to maybe just take five minutes now because everyone will want to know this. And I, I don't want to make this an SEO lesson interview. I'd much rather hear your entire story. But just in five minutes uh, and make it current perhaps is the best way to, to, to talk about this. Since link building is always the number one thing that people have to get you know, done for SEO, could you just give us a, like, what, what do you do nowadays for, for your link building either advice or you're actually doing for your clients? Like what works? Sure. So a few things still work. Manual outreach has always worked. If you go and find out who links to your competitors, because you can do backward link checks on them, you can actually go out to every single one of those sites and manually hit them up. You can even do some fun stuff to automate it, in which once you get a link list of all the people who link to your competition, 
you can put up all those URLs on something like um, what's that service? Uh, it's by Amazon, like that crowdsourcing. I totally forgot the name of it. It's really popular. But there's like programs like uh, not Elance. Oh, uh, you mean? You pay like a penny per record. Um, I forgot what it was. But nonetheless, there's sites out there in which you can say, hey, for every email address you give me, or like you can give them any task and you tell them how much you're willing to pay for it. So I would go on this Amazon service and I should know the name. <laughs> we should look it up. <laughs> That's right. And I would pay them like a penny. So I'd give them a list of like 10,000 websites. And when I would give them a list of the 10,000 websites, I'd say, I'll give you a penny for every email you get me. Okay. So what I would do was, once I got those record lists, um, and I actually got it now, it's Mechanical Turk. So once I got those record lists from Mechanical Turk, you have two options. One is you can create a template and start automatically emailing out all those 10,000 or 100,000 people and try to see if they link back with a generic template. What I typically do is go the other route of doing a customer and have my guys here who I'd pay you know, minimum wage or whatever it may be, start manually emailing out these people one by one and try to convince them to link back. So that's one strategy. Another strategy I use these days is social media. And a great way to use social media is like you can use programs like Tweet Adder to build up your Twitter account. Um, you can build up your Facebook account manually, right? There's a lot of articles that talk about that. Easy way is, you know, start adding some friends or all the people that you want to follow or the influential and start, you know, participate in the community and so forth and so on. But building up your social profiles and then when you write content and you tweet about it, share it on Facebook and so forth and so on, you're going to get more traffic. The more traffic you get, the more links you're going to get, right? Because one of those people are more likely to now go, hey, I should link to this because this is a great article. Mm-hmm. Another thing I do is uh, viral bait, and what I mean by this is like infographics, uh, you know, good video content, whatever you want to do, things that are so attractive that people just want to link to. So we used to crank out infographics, you know, every week on the Kissmetrics blog, and that's you know one of our big secrets of building up that blog audience. Crank them out, push them out through the social web, and link. Mm-hmm. Right, you would get links back because of the embed codes. Another thing that we ended up doing that worked out really well is guest blogging. So we would go out there, find all the blogs that would write on topics related to ours, and we would hit them up and offer them a guest blog post. And the key with that is when you hit them up, you don't already give them specific titles and posts that you know they would like to accept based off of their old content, right? Mm -hmm. Within that blog, you can get a link back through the bio or you can add links to your own site, right? So those are some of the ways we've linked builders over time. You can also get into buying links and stuff like that if you want to spend money. And there's a lot of places like sponsor reviews or blog vertise. Uh, there's areas where you can find guest blog posts really easily, myblogguest.com. So there's a ton of services out there, and there's a ton of ways to get links. The real key to building links is actually just creating a good product or service or writing good content which is what most people neglect these days. And they <laughs> try to just go the route of, hey, let's just, you know, um, let's just pay someone to build links versus spending that time and effort and energy onto building something good. Because if you build something good, you can pay a PR firm, and I pay like this company called PRServe, you know, for every press release they get me. So if they get me on TechCrunch, it costs me 750 bucks. That's the PR firm's, you know, cost. 
Um, if they get me on Huffington Post, 750 bucks. If you have a great product or service, these guys are more willing to write on you. If mm. you don't, you're not going to get written up. Now they pay for pay on performance too. That's correct, and right. you're not get you're not paying for a link, but you're getting a link in essence because no one really does a press, you know, or blogs about you. That's a big magazine or online journal without really linking to your site. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that's that's a nice little segue. <laughs> some some current SEO or link building advice. Uh, I think you know that sounds like the tried and true methods that have been working for a while now, and 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 you're obviously still doing all those things. So it, it, that that's what you do for a lot of your clients, I presume. That's correct. I don't really have too many clients these days. Right. Um, I hate doing consulting. I'll be upfront with that, but uh, yeah, it still works, and I still have a few clients because there's always those big corporations that can just pay you and if you don't want to work for them right yeah so. yeah okay awesome so let's go back to the story then uh so you knew your link building techniques back then and you practiced them like crazy and better than most people did so you were able to generate a lot of search traffic for first of all the battery company and then the battery company's son's advertising agency did you say was that what it was yeah, his clients, because like, he worked with Blue Cross and Countrywide, which is now owned by Bank of America here in the U.S. So he worked with a lot of large corporations. So what we pretty much did was take everything that we were doing for the electronic company and do it for the owner's son's uh, client list. Okay, so by now you're making some probably <laughs> a couple of six-figure incomes there. Um, way more than most people would be at. How old are you? Like 19? <laughs> Something like that? Oh, 16, 17, 18 at the latest. Right. So like, what do you do with all that money at 18? I reinvested it back into the business. So technically I wasn't making a dollar in my own pocket. Okay, what were you reinvesting it for? Like staff or? The business, yeah, staff. Uh, I figured out how to do sales. So I'd figure out who's spending money on Google Pay-Per-Click and do rough estimates on how much it costs, and I'll just go through specific keyword lists, Google them, and call every single one in the top 100 that was paying for ads for that keyword. And I'll just go page by page until I saw a new ad and keep on clicking through, call, find them in the marketing department, and sell them on SEO services. So I kept on reinvesting in the business, expanded the client list, started speaking at conferences, invested money into a better website, a blog, so forth, so on to really go the, grow the agency's brand and did that for a few years. And after a while, you know, realized that it wasn't the funnest thing to do. But nonetheless, you know, I did it for a while and that's when I started transitioning into software. Okay, so I guess the, the real question is why? Uh, it's, it sounds like you would have had staff doing most of the jobs that you didn't like in your consultancy firm. Is that right? That's correct. Well, most people don't know about SEO agencies or internet marketing agencies, clients don't stay forever. It's a high-churn business, and it's hard to prevent a lot of the churn. Because in many cases, you'll only get six-month or year contracts, and people don't stay with you for three, four, five years like they do with software companies. Okay, so the high-churn is just because they don't need ongoing services? Once, once you've got the rankings, they leave? A lot of different reasons. It's not always that. That could be one. Um, and they feel internally they don't need to keep on spending money to maintain those rankings, even yep. though eventually they will drop if you don't. And the other big reason was is like budget cuts or companies want to try new things or companies feel that, hey, we can get a higher ROI if we try something else. Or, hey, let's bring this on internally because we can do it for one-tenth of the cost and it'll be easy, right? And then in many cases, they'll learn that it doesn't always work that way. 
but nonetheless, it's a high churn business. Okay. So software. If someone can stay with you for a year or two years, but most clients won't stay with you for that long, right? You typically have six month to one year contracts, and it just doesn't pan out the lifetime value of a customer like it would in a software business, which you know has much better margins, and the customers stay for three, four years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you obviously wanted to, a new challenge as well. It's probably safe to say, right? Yeah, I was getting bored with it. I was frustrated, right? Because I would continually have to do sales and I hated sales instead of doing the actual work because mm-hmm. I had no time to do the work. So I actually started, me and my co-founder of that marketing agency started creating a software company. And the software company wasn't created because we wanted to get into software. It was more so we kept on seeing a problem. For every client that we were managing and working with, we were driving them good traffic, but they were like, hey, you know, we're getting all this traffic, but how does this traffic relate into more sales? Sure, you can track your conversion rates, but they didn't get how those visitors actually engaged on their website and what was causing them to leave, buy, all those types of things. So what we pretty much did was we created Crazy Egg, and Crazy Egg at that point was a solution that helps you visually understand how people engage and interact with your website. Okay, so Crazy Egg is it's sort of like a heat map service. I think some of our listeners will have heard of it. Before maybe you talk about how Crazy Egg went, or at least I'd like to jump into the start of this, because I'm actually doing a software startup now, and I know how challenging it is to A, you know, get bug-free software or, you know, functional software out there and keep building on features at the same time as, you know, manage uh, hiring the developers to do it and keep uh, cash flow or getting startup capital, whatever it is, to you know keep everything running. Can you tell us how you how did uh, Crazy Egg go in that startup phase? Yeah, so me and my co-founder were self-funding it because it was really tough on getting it out there and making it money. Right, mm-hmm. it took us a while to launch it, six plus months. When we launched it, we had an email list of over twenty thousand people. Because I realized that, hey, most of the people who are interested in this product when I showed it to them were designers. So I was like, let me go to all the CSS gallery websites, which back then were really popular. And I bought an ad on every single one of it, created a squeeze page, and just collected like 20,000 emails. Now, who were you having developed it, though? Did you, you obviously, you're not a software developer yourself, or was your partner? Uh, we actually outsourced it. Okay. And, so, and we went to through two or three before we actually found a software developer who completed it and it actually worked. Okay. Was that, was that ext- like overseas for you or, or locally? All local in the U.S. Okay. Because that's, I'm assuming you had to keep maintaining the software too, so you would have had to have had an ongoing relationship with your developer. That's correct. So okay. we did that for a while and when we launched it, we got a ton of press from like TechCrunch, Mashable, tons of sites out there. We thought we would kill it financially First month, we really did a few thousand bucks in revenue. How come? Just we, we realized everyone was signing up for the pre free plan and they, they weren't upgrading into paid. We didn't know how to upsell people really well back then. We do now. But, you know, if you look at it, it took us, by the end of the year, we weren't even at $30,000 a month in reoccurring income. Right. So you considered I, that not successful. It was not successful. We had a buyout offer, I think, for around six million bucks back then too. We put a hundred grand of our own money in, or two hundred. <laughs> and, and you decided and, to say it, no. And, and it, yeah, obviously it wasn't no. Uh, and in total, we probably put a half a million bucks into the company because 
over the months out of all those years for running it, it wasn't breaking even, right? So someone had to keep on feeding more money into mm-hmm. it. Uh, um, now you must have had a lot of free users then, like do you, do you ton, over six figures worth of free users, right? So there was a potential was there, so that's why you probably didn't want to sell. You saw that uh, if you just figure well, out how to get these guys to spend some money, you'd be fine. No, we should have sold. I was a stupid naive kid. <laughs> okay, a big corporation who's worth you know a hundred plus billion dollars offers me six. They can afford ten million. Because it's just me and my co-founder, so I'm like, I at least want five million, so that way we get five million each. That was uh-huh. my logic. It was very silly and stupid. <laughs> right? I was naive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you said no anyway to this golden opportunity, and then what did you do? Oh, what did I do? I ended up uh, throughout the years. We've gone crazy for five, six years now. We just kept on growing it, and the turning point for that business was when we removed the free plan, and we just made it paid. Because we were getting thousands and thousands of free signups every month. So when we removed it, we started getting a high percentage of people who were paying for it every month. And then, you know, fast forward a year, uh, we were breaking even. But the moment we went from free to paid and there's no more free plan, we doubled the income within 30 days. Yeah, right. Now, I'm assuming that the, the costs of the bandwidth for so many free users would have been high as well. Our server costs aren't too bad. Right. I think right now it's like at 20, 30 grand a month. I could be wrong. Right, but you don't have the free yeah. users now. So, I mean, back when you had well, all those... We still have free users because we didn't cut them off. Oh, and we okay. still have free user accounts that you can find if you search hard enough. <laughs> okay. That's not from that, but nonetheless, uh, and we're going back to adding a free plan. Okay. But, uh, so just yeah. so people understand, what do people use Kissmetrics, uh, sorry, Crazy Egg for? They use Crazy Egg to figure out how to make their website more usable or web app more usable. How? How you put a JavaScript on your site, it tracks where people click and where they don't click, and you can figure out what's causing them to, you know, get confused, click on wrong things. For example, if you have a blog and you have images on your blog, you'll notice that a lot of times people click on your images. It'll show you that they think it's a link, but it's actually not a link. So one thing you could end up doing is making it a link. Or you may notice that people aren't clicking in the way that you're, or area that you're looking to, cl- to click. So you may want to modify the design, test it with the new Crazy Egg version because you can run a new test and see the differences between the two heat maps to see what are the hot and cold spots. So that way you can get more of the engagements you're looking for versus less of the ones that you're not looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's uh, obviously a valuable service and, you, and I can see why it's you know, taken off so well over the years. Now, when was that launched? Uh, I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> I remember getting an email from, I don't know who it was, I'm not sure it was you, Neil, to, just to take a look, because obviously I was writing a blog, or I am writing a blog in that space, and someone got in touch about having a, a play with it and writing about it. So, But that's a while ago. It must be it must be th- four years ago, maybe? That, that could be right, yeah. yeah. It's, it's The service is at least five, six years ago, so you're looking somewhere around 2006, 2007 is my guess that we launched it. Mm, okay. So what happened next? Now, obviously, that's gone on to become a successful business. You're still uh, an owner of that, right? That's correct. Still own it. It grows. There's own team runs it. But yeah, it, I would say it grows. You know, more than a hundred percent year over year. So, mm-hmm. so do you consider that your you know your your, your biggest success so far? Financially, it doesn't have the most revenue. But if you look at it from a exit standpoint, if I ever sold it today, it's enough where. 
you know, my chunk of it is enough where I never have to work again. Right. Assuming nothing bad happens, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, take us forward then. You're having success with Crazy Egg, but you know, you, you, so, you do a lot. You know, I remember you're writing your Quick Sprout blog. You're, you seem to still do the odd SEO consulting for big companies like the Cheeseburger Network, TechCrunch. So a lot of those companies I'm advisors for, mm-hmm. like Cheeseburger. So it's just doing it for free and getting stock or shares in the company. Right. Um, what ended up happening is when Crazy Egg wasn't breaking even, we actually went to go pitch a venture capitalist. Because for me and my co-founder put a half a million bucks of our own money. And at this time, we didn't put a half a million. It was probably, you know, between 200 grand and 500. Mm-hmm. You know, we were getting burned out because we were using so much of our own cash. So what we ended up doing is pitching venture capitalists. Mm-hmm. And they all said no. And the vision we were trying to pitch is to evolve the product into being a much larger company. That company turned into Kiss Metrics. Kiss Metrics is like Crazy Egg 2.0. Mm-hmm. And no one would fund us. You know, we probably pitched over 20, 30 VCs and they're like, look, your business is like an auto shop. You go in once, you fine tune it, do a heat map once, and then you never use it again. But that's actually incorrect, right? The lifetime value of a customer and user base shows that people actually do multiple tests and they'll pay for it on a regular basis instead of using it just like as an oil change every 3,000 or 5,000 miles. Mm-hmm. So we pitched the VCs. That didn't work. We ran Crazy Egg a bit more. And uh, sooner or later, my buddy's like, hey, you know, if you're interested in raising money for this bigger vision, let me know. So he spun out Kissmetrics into his own company. At that time, it had no name. Because what we found out is we had a really hard time pitching the vision when it was, you you could see Crazy Egg, right? Because they're like, oh, where's the hockey stick growth and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And they're looking at that data versus looking at this vision that we were trying to pitch. So we said, hey, let's cut Crazy Egg out and let's keep keep Crazy Egg its own separate company. Let's create a new company that is what Kissmetrics does. That was our vision for Crazy Egg 2.0. But we we're just like, let's just create a new company. And we pitched that and we were able to raise venture capital for it. Okay, you know? what, what did you pitch exactly? What was the difference there? The difference was this Crazy Egg helps you, you know, make your site more usable. Kissmetrics helps you make more money from your website. So instead of focusing on the design aspect, Kissmetrics focus on improving your lifetime value of your customer, improving your revenue, improving your conversion rates, similar to Crazy Egg, which also helps you improve conversion rates. But this also helps you reduce your churn rates, right? So think of Google Analytics. Google will tell you your pages and visitors and what's causing it to go up or down. Kissmetrics focuses on your revenue, and it tells you what's causing it to go up or down. Okay, so that was a more interesting pitch to uh, VC firms. It was, and we were able to raise, in total, we've raised like $4 million bucks for it. Mm-hmm. So we've been growing that. You know, We have a pretty big team, somewhere between 20 and 30 people. Um, but it's been growing fast. Quarter over quarter, we've been beating our expectations and our numbers, or at least meeting them. But um, yeah, you know, that's where my focus is today, right? I've been doing that for exactly four years now which means Crazy Egg must be at least six years old. <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah, exactly four years now. I think like four years and one month. And what's your, your personal role nowadays, Neil, for, for all of this? Like what do you, what do, you do each day? So uh, don't work really on Crazy Egg anymore. Um, you know, I may spend an hour a week on that max. I pretty much spend all of my time on Kissmetrics, and I'm pretty much the VP of marketing there. Mm-hmm. But... I 
barely do any marketing stuff there, even though that's my title. I spend all my time, you know, dealing with legal, finance, sales, and some marketing. So okay. more of the revenue-related stuff on figuring out how we can make more revenue for the business. Okay, so you've sort of had two home runs here with Crazy Egg and Kissmetrics, and they're both software-based. Yeah, Kiss is doing well. It's not done yet, right? For right. me, even Crazy Egg, I don't consider it a home run until it's sold. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, but by most people's standards, you know, you've got two successful going concerns here, um, which, you know, like you said, Crazy Egg, if it sold, you'd be, you know, set for life, and Kissmetrics is on the same path. And that's very different to, say, your first business, which was, you know, the more SEO consulting, not software-based. Could you maybe summarize, like, this, there's a lot of transitions that goes on. You know, you've gone from, I guess, doing sales, a sales role and an SEO role early on in your career to building a business sort of role, you know, being a founder, raising capital, uh, building a team, all those sorts of things. What's, what's the key difference? Like, how can you make that leap? And, and you know, what, what do you think really went well with Crazy Egg and Kissmetrics and, and what are the pitfalls? Yeah, so there, there really is no, how do you make the leap? You just go out there and do it. If you want to create a big business, you got to surround yourself with people and people that are smarter than you. Because at the end of the day, you can't do everything yourself. There's just not enough hours in the day. So instead of focusing on the small things yourselves, you got to start focusing on hiring great people. As a founder of a business, while well, I was taught early on, if the only thing you do is hire exceptionally great people to do all the tasks and everything else in the business, you've done your job as a founder. Because if you can hire an awesome CTO and people under him, an awesome VP of sales, an awesome CFO, and so forth and so on, you know, your company is very likely to succeed assuming you've got a decent product. So how do you do that? You go out there and you spend your time networking and building up your brand. Because if you build up your brand, it's easier to hire good, talented people versus if you don't have a brand. Right. So these people, they they know about Neil Patel and they know about Crazy Egg. So they want to work for Kissmetrics because of that. Exactly. And that's why I blog on Quicksprout, right? I love giving back to the community, but it also helps me with my brand, which helps me recruit better talent. and helps me recruit better talent at lower cost because people want to work uh, for me versus me paying on market rates, which you know you can't really afford as a startup. Because even if your start is printing cash, you're not printing the same amount of cash on Microsoft or Google, so you can never afford to compete with them salary-wise. Interesting. Okay, so uh, good people. Um, now, you're obviously located. Are you still in Orange County living now? I moved a few years ago to Seattle, Washington. So uh, it's the more northern side of the United States. But uh, that's where I've been living for the last three, almost three and a half years now. Rainy Seattle. Rainy Seattle. So what's what's the startup scene like there? Is is that where you've been basically it's growing? Decent. These... It's not great. My startups, they're all based in San Francisco, California, so I end up flying a lot. Okay. I pick Seattle for random reasons that aren't even related to the community, but I do love the community there, and they are great people. Now, one of the things I've noticed about you, Neil, is your ability to be, I guess, a thought leader in your space. You You do seem to be on top of... Uh, lots of parts of the internet, the social space, the, the SEO space, the, the startup scene. Um, you know, like you, you've, you've raised your profile in that space, but you also maintain a really strong uh, knowledge and awareness of what's going on. 
how do you do that? Is, is that a networking thing or just do you spend all day sitting on your computer reading about other companies and playing with tools and software? A great team around me who shares a lot of information. My co-founder shares a lot of information with me. I read a lot and I also work like 70 to 80 hours a week, which helps. <laughs> okay, so it's just hard work and, and, and the people around you. Yeah, I, I don't really have a life, right? Other than <laughs> like people look at it like, oh, if you make money, life is easier. No, really, the more money you make, you actually find yourself working more hours, right? So right. it's not the other way around. And, and why do you do it then? Uh, I enjoy it. I don't know what else I would be doing. Like, if you give me a hundred million bucks today, nothing would change in my life, right? I may have, you know, a bit nicer clothes and a nicer home. We'll probably wouldn't even still get a car because I don't drive. But nonetheless, nothing would really change. I'd still be working all those hours. Right, so you're doing it for the love of the work, not for the money. Yeah, and it's what I know how to do, right? I would make a terrible 9-to-5 employee. I can't wake up and go into work and have someone tell me what to do. Like, I would suck at that. So, you know, what, what, like, what are the plans then for the future? Like, how old are you now, Neil? Like, <laughs> you can't be that old if you were 16, 17 just a few years ago. Uh, I'm old now. I'm 27. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're over the hill. <laughs> I'm over the I'm like... I, I, I would say I got another good, I don't know, 15, 20 years in me before I'm done. Okay. So what do you want to do in those 15, 20 years? What's the, what's the bigger plan? Uh, I would probably say I would focus more on the nonprofit sector. So I've done a lot in the nonprofit sector over the last two, three years, but I'll focus more on it than anything else. Okay. All right, Neil. Well, I think we've, we've covered most of your story. So let's, let's um, start wrapping up the interview. I, I'm going to... I normally ask a question at the end of these, but I'm going to be completely selfish here and ask a very a question I'm interested in, but I'm sure a lot of people listening will be interested in too, because this is where I'm struggling with in my startup. So we can, we can make this a consulting call. I get uh, some free consulting time with you. Thank you. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we're struggling with, with software development. In, we're, you know, we're doing a software startup as well in the advertising space, and we're just struggling with... Um, like I have a technical co-founder and a designer co-founder and we're do they're basically doing all the technical work and we're looking for software development teams at the same time as growing the business and I'm looking for capital and, and doing those sort of you know founder CEO kind of roles and we struggled to for example we were looking for new hires to develop software some some new tech talent but doing that process kind of have their productivity because we had to spend all this time hiring or, or looking for people and setting up systems so we could collaborate and build a team. And we realized we we're actually going slower than our intention to speed up. So could you maybe give me advice and anyone listening to this call when you're looking to build a team, especially in a technical software-driven company uh, during the early stages, You know, how do you manage the need to work on the software as well as hire the team, uh, and, and find good people. I know networking was, uh, was the answer to the part of that question, but we're struggling yeah, so, with logistics. So networking, blogging what you do, and the other thing is just go out there and start reaching out, right? So I'd reach out to friends, other people I know in this space, saying, hey, do you know of any good engineers or contractors or whoever I can hire or designers? I'd also start posting ads for jobs like on places like Craigslist, I would also go out there and hunt for all the other businesses that I like and find out who did their design and development work and try to poach those people. But the real trick is to actually not hire too many people at the early stages. Because if you have too big of a team, things take longer, right? 
right. the communication, uh, distance barrier, assuming they're not all in one central location, having a lot of heads and training people and making sure everyone's on the same page. It takes much longer to get something launched when you have a ton of people versus having a really small team, getting something out there and expanding the team as revenue expands. So would you recommend like a team of two developers or something like that to start with? I yeah, one or two developers, right? You can even get one developer and one designer and you know, you can do the business stuff yourself and call it a day and try to get things out, but you know, worst case, I wouldn't do more than two developers for something that's, you know, medium or somewhat simple. Mm. And then later on, you can expand from there, that, right? It's all about the lean startup. Exactly, yeah. Was that the story for Crazy Egg? I know Kissmetrics, you probably started with a slightly larger team because you had the, the venture funding, right? Yeah. Kissmetrics, we started with a much larger team, but we had a lot more cash. And when you're a venture startup, you got to burn the money quick. You can't take 4 million bucks and hold on to 4 million bucks for five years. It's You're not doing justice to the investors because that means you're not growing fast enough. But that was a story with Crazy. We were able to build Crazy with one developer. Okay, fantastic. So you must have had a great A player. Yeah, one great developer and one awesome designer. Okay, well, that's encouraging, Neil. That, that, that's what we have, so <laughs> fingers crossed. Okay, yeah, um, go ahead. Focus on creating something that's very minimal. Get feedback from it. Keep on iterating until you actually get product market fit and then go out there and start releasing your product and market it. Mm, yeah, we are, we are having a bit of a problem with the product market fit, I think, is definitely a challenge. So we're doing quite a little little pivots here and there to figure out where the, the sweet spot is. So There you go. You, you got all the, you know, knowledge, the, the lingo. The lingo <laughs> down terminology and you know what to do. So you're on the right path. <laughs> Awesome, thank it's, you. It's a software company that most people don't realize. You got to really give it three years before it starts making decent money. Yeah, you can start making good money, you know, in the short run. But after the three-year point, you'll actually start seeing you're going to be making much more money than you don't. And for that reason, you know, it's always attractive to go out there and find software businesses that haven't hit three years and only been around for like a year or two and just buy them up. Mm. Actually, I've noticed. I looked at your your Crunchbase profile, and you're in certainly listening as an advisor and investor in, in a few companies now you're becoming a you know quite active is is that something that just interests you or are you just meeting friends and you want to help them uh it interests me i was like making money on my money because it's like i don't really believe in buying big homes that you're not going to use when you're you know living by yourself you know i have a one-bedroom condo so it's like what else do you do with your money right and i end up investing it all but uh that's typically based on businesses that I see and like versus trying to buy out a company, right? So I do two aspects. One is investing in entrepreneurs or in startups and ideas that I like, and I've done almost 30 of them, I think, to date. And then the other approach is we buy software companies out that we like, right? Like Crazy Egg recently bought HelloBar.com. Um, and I don't think we actually even released that information. But, uh, <laughs> we just did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just did. So, but we've owned that, you know, for a decent amount of time now. Although we haven't announced it even to the Hello Bar users. Oh right. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we'll do stuff like that that we feel, you know, we can take in our hands and grow and start adding value to it. Because mm, I, I see WhitePages.com, PaperPost, Doxter, Cheeseburger. These are all advisor companies for you. Um, at... That that's correct. Very few of my investments are listed out on uh online right uh, but molar geek is this your latest it's the, the most recent entry in your crunch profile is that something new 
I don't even think that was me. I don't even know what Molar Geek is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, they seem to think you're the CEO of it. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> okay, I learn something about myself every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the problem when you build a profile, right? Everyone's talking about you. So that's correct. All right, Neil. Well, thank you for uh, t- giving us a breakdown of each of the steps. Um, you know, there's, there's so much we could go into for for every business there, I'm sure. But I think it's a nice overview of all, all that you've built so far. And I know you've got a lot more in you. I think you know, <laughs> 27. It's okay. It's not that old. So, um, yeah, I hope you have a lot more success with what you're doing. And hopefully, some point we'll bump into each other over in the states. Um, it'd be it'd be probably nice to one day get over to San Francisco and uh, properly get myself in the startup scene. It seems like a fun place to be. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, if you're ever in uh, the States, feel free to hit me up. Now, before I go, websites. We've obviously mentioned kissmetrics.com, crazyegg.com. So if you're in the, uh, well, everything, the traffic and conversion and usability space, all those things are answered uh, and and monitoring your income streams, right, with Kissmetrics. Yep. Uh, and then Quick Sprout is your it's a personal blog, isn't it? That's correct. So quicksprout.com. And now, do you monetize that? I'm curious. Is that a business or that's just purely purely a profile builder? Sure. So uh, it is a business. I have my own personal company called I'm Kind of a Big Deal. <laughs> <laughs> and the blog is under that corporation in case someone tries to sue me for some odd reason. Uh, but, who, uh, who would I'm, want to sue someone called I, I, I'm a Big Deal? I mean... <laughs> I'd be shocked. I think I've been through three or four lawsuits. I don't know how many. I've been through quite a few over random frivolous things. So, uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's just a personal blog, but it does make money because I've sold a traffic system on there, like an ebook, and that's done pretty well over the, I don't know, five months that it's been out. Yeah, fantastic. So you're also an information publisher. There you go. All right. Well, you managed to do a lot. So, but you know, eighty hours, you can get a lot done. Neil, thank you. Appreciate the the call. Um, And yeah, good luck in the future. You too. Take care. And for everyone listening in, if you want to grab more interviews like this, you can head to my blog, entrepreneurs-journey.com, or just Google my name, the easiest way to find it, Y-A-R-O, and you can find lots more podcast interviews just like this one. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.